He says, yes, it does. But what happens is, um, once when you go into the Ganga, the 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 ghosts, the papa, the you know, they they uh, fly away from a person and they sit on the tree, waiting for the person to take the dip and come out. Once they have, you have come out of it, they jump on you <laughs> again. Basically, what he means is, when we do something, um, some religious rite, some ritual, you do feel an upliftment. You do do feel a purity, but it goes away very fast. All our past conditioning comes back again. Um, he gave a very beautiful example of elephants being taken for a bath. So you take elephants, I mean, these are, of course, uh, tame elephants. You take them for a bath in the river. And so they, they, they're clean thoroughly. But once they're out, they have a tendency to roll in the sand. So they cover themselves with dirt all over again. But he says, if after, right after the bath, if you drive the elephant back to the stable where the elephants are kept, uh, then the elephant will remain clean. Similarly, what he means is by purification, by spiritual practices, all of these things, if one purifies the mind and engages it in spiritual practice and attains uh, enlightenment, then the purity is permanent. Um, so otherwise what happens, it's like the elephant, which rolls in the dust immediately afterwards and all the effect of it is lost. But he says, compared to all of those practices, whatever, you're observing a vow, um, fasting, silence, um, pujas, uh, then or you know, given charity, or uh, various kinds of havan rituals, fire rituals, um, bathing during uh, you know the whole like the kumbha mela, for example, um, the um, bathing in the river. I've seen the monks. I also used to do quite a bit of it when I was in in Belurmat. So it's next to the Ganga. All of it is nothing compared to knowledge. Knowledge means enlightenment. Nahi jnana sadrisham pavitram vidyate. So this pavitra means holy, sacred, uh, pure. One of the masters, uh, Swami Akhandananda Saraswati, who, whose books are in Hindi, he makes a, uh, a kind of a play on words. So, so some of them have this tendency of finding out deeper and deeper meanings by playing around with the words in Sanskrit. So uh, what he does is the two words, sadrisham and pavitram. Pavitram means sacred, holy, purifying. Now he says it comes from the root pavi. Pavi, uh, he says it means a thunderbolt. So ignorance is the thunderbolt which, by which we have been struck in Sanskrit, in Sanskrit or Hindi, vajra. Ignorance is the Vajra thunderbolt by which we have been struck and we are suffering in samsara. So much unhappiness, so much struggle in samsara because we, are, we have been laid low, we have been struck by this thunderbolt. How do you overcome? You need an even more powerful weapon to fight off the thunderbolt of ignorance and which is knowledge. So tra means that which takes you across, which overcomes. Um, for example, the word mantra. So mantra. Man means mananat. If you think over it, if you if you dwell on that, tra means it takes you across samsara. It takes you across the ocean of ignorance. That's a mantra. Um, pavitra. So according to this derivation given by Akhandan Saraswati, pavitra means that which overcomes the thunderbolt of ignorance. Pavi, thunderbolt, we are hit by that. We have been laid low. We are suffering. So you need knowledge which will overcome, which will be tra or pavitra overcoming um, thunderbolt. I thought, is he um, sort of, you know, overdoing it, playing on the words, extracting meanings which are not there. So I looked up the dictionary and lo and behold, pavi, thunderbolt. <laughs> so it's a direct meaning of the word pavi. I never knew this. So this is one meaning. This is very interesting that it overcomes the literally holy means at its core in its deep philosophical sense. Don't mistake me. In Sanskrit and in all, just about every Indian language, Pavitra simply means holy, pure, sacred. That's it. That's correct. That's correct. That's the, uh, the standard meaning. This is a deeper meaning, but it is supported by Sanskrit grammar. And then the other um, word or grammatical investigation which he does is with the word Sadrisham. 
Sadrisham literally means similar um, or quite like. There's nothing quite like knowledge uh, in its purifying power and elevating power. Sadrisham, like something, similar to. But he changes the meaning. Um, so for this, you need Sanskrit. Drisha means to see. So Sadrisham means with sight. Sa means with. So Drisha means to see. Sadrisha does not mean like. I mean, um, that's one meaning. But this, the meaning, special meaning which this Swami brings out is that which has uh, sight. And it is true. Knowledge is that which has sight. And uh, specifically, there he says, um, uh, knowledge is that which destroys ignorance. By knowledge, you see. See that uh, ultimate reality. So, sadrisham, with, with eyes, one sees. Um, and a deeper meaning here is compared to all other purificatory practices. Okay, this is where we are on little dangerous territory. Don't lose your faith in the purificatory practices. He says, in all the purificatory practices, whether it is pujas or Vedic fire rituals or taking a bath in the Ganga, the purifying power is something you believe in. You don't see it actually. And you feel it. But it could just be because we believe in it. Just It could be that you're conditioned by culture, by centuries of practice and culture and enculturation, you, you believe in it. And it works. There's no doubt about it. It works. But his point is, you don't actually see it. Whereas, the what knowledge delivers, you see it directly. It will transform your entire life. It will set you free from samsara. Moksha, um, in Vedantic terms is called Drishtaphalam. Drishtaphalam means a direct experienced result. In this life you will see it. The distinction is in the Vedas, the Karmakanda and the Jnanakanda. The ritualistic portion and the knowledge portion, the philosophical portion. We are Gita is, is uh, based on the Upanishads, which are the philosophical or the knowledge portion. But the ritualistic portion, you have a variety of rituals. And they're supposed to give you worldly and otherworldly goals. So worldly goal might be um, in ancient times, you know, you might want rainfall or a king might want to conquer his enemies or one might want to go to heaven after death. So clearly there were two kinds of results which they were aiming at. Nothing very spiritual about it. But there are two kinds of results they were aiming at. One kind was drishta, here and now. I perform this ritual and it is promising that there's going to be rainfall. I can see whether there's rainfall or not. Did it work or not? And uh, the other kind of result was adrishta, unseen. Unseen in the sense, after death, I will attain to heaven because I have performed these rituals. Now that I do not see now. I'll have to wait until I die and then, and then I can't you know, return it to the shop. If, it, if, it, I don't, if I don't end up in heaven and end up in the other place, I say the ritual didn't work. I want a full refund. Too late. So it's an unseen result. It's taken entirely on faith. So they're seeing and unseen results for various practices. What he's saying here is Sadrisham means it's a seen result. Um, knowledge gives you a seen result. Right here, you will see in your own life. It's completely transformed. It gives the result of taking you across all suffering, of giving you permanent fulfillment. So that is the deeper meaning of all of that he gets by playing around with the word sadrisham. <laughs> Drisham to see. But the general meaning again, the actual, the, the standard meaning of sadrisham is like. There's nothing like knowledge which is so purifying. Okay. Tatswayam yoga samsiddha kalena atmani vindati. One perfected in yoga. So perfected in yoga means by karma yoga one attains purification of mind. By uh, worship or upasana one attains concentration, focus. And by the practice of knowledge, which is what we have discussed in this section. One, knowledge means jnana yoga. One attains enlightenment and gets freedom. Kalena atmani vindati. It takes time. In time. Uh, so didn't you say that you will get a seen result immediately? Yes, you will get a seen result immediately the moment you are enlightened. There's, there's no delay there. But till enlightenment, it takes time. It takes time. All right. And then 39. 
श्रद्धावान लभते ज्ञानम तत्परसंयतेन्द्रिया ज्ञानम लब्ध्वा परां शांतिम अचिरेणाधिगच्छति वेरी ब्यूटीफुल वर्स द मैन ऑफ फेथ ज़ील एंड सेल्फ कंट्रोल अटेन्स नॉलेज हैविंग अटेन्ड नॉलेज ही इमीडिएटली अटेन्स सुप्रीम पीस सो um this discusses what is necessary for becoming enlightened shraddha so the one um shraddhavan means one who has faith in the teachings and in the teacher the guru and the shastras so that person um faith will be discussed again a little later but faith here does not mean uh, uncritical acceptance of something you can always criticize you can always question but uh, it is uh, one must start with the feeling that there is something to it otherwise you will never pursue it all spiritual practice in fact all worldly activities also based on a kind of faith that i'm going to get something out of this so that sustains us that that motivates us inspires us and sustains us in spiritual life shraddhavan labhate gyanam very beautiful phrase i think it should be the motto of our our educational institutions what has happened in our educational institutions is just the opposite of this shraddha in the name of say like critical thinking and doubting everything and freedom of thought all those are wonderful and i'm sure they have served in removing superstition and blind belief and all of that that's great but one can overdo it that uh, so anything that is put forward as a teaching is immediately subject to criticism or skepticism it must be somehow wrong so if you say so you know um, a, a scholar once told me see all of this comes from the west and in the west also it's a new phenomenon it comes from nietzsche it's, it's called the hermeneutics of suspicion so whatever you say it's not right there must be something hidden underneath it a hidden narrative there and which is usually much worse than what you are saying so you talk about the lives of the saints which are supposed to inspire us in spiritual life make greater efforts no 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 inquire deeply there are skeletons in the cupboard so you find that out um uh, or uh, whether it's the yoga teachings or whatever it is you find a uh, an explanation which is usually um, quite uninspiring quite mundane or you know cut down what has been said so this is sort of dominant in modern thought especially in academics so, so, somehow the implied i mean assumption it's there all the time is that it can't be true there is no such thing as god or enlightenment and all now having taken that for granted that it's not spirituality is not true so why is religion there now we will find economic reasons for it or social reasons for it Uh, we will find power uh, equations in it and so on and so forth so this is the problem of ashraddha starting off with a lack of faith in fact starting off with positive suspicion this is quite different from questioning in, in vedanta one must question because one has to understand the questioning is meant for understanding it's the attitude is i go to class i have a rock star professor and and a course which i am very interested in now what do i do i would like to know uh, i would like to get it so i question i question what i'm reading in the book i question the professor i i ask that's very good and something that we uh, lacked in indian education while growing up we are supposed to keep our mouth shut and listen to what the teacher said uh, and that's changing i i hear at least in the better institutions and that's all for the good but even if if i don't get it it's the attitude is not that the professor is a liar not that the books are all fake news no my attitude is i don't get it that's why i'm questioning in order to understand that is perfectly all right and that must be done otherwise one will will not understand but to start off with the assumption that is all nonsense and i'm going to show you that it's nonsense you'll never get anywhere um and that has reached its extreme in you know the whole cult of postmodern thinking uh, it's sort of um i mean i saw it especially in the in the uh, humanities i mean i saw it where better than i mean in harvard for example so uh, it is very damaging 
you uh, it sort of sabotages learning and it converts um academics into a kind of uh, activism not even a genuine kind of activism it's more like you know what they call virtue signaling i'm better than you so uh, each person trying to show i'm more socially progressive than you more socially advanced than you and everything is twisted and turned to serve that that narrative and if you're against it you know i actually spoke to uh, senior professors at harvard um, personally of the record the senior ones at least are very unhappy with it this this whole thing uh, they keep quiet otherwise they'll get into trouble so yeah so this is a, this is a problem with the present state of affairs and this is at the best institutes in the world today um one has to sort of overcome that um then shraddhavan labhate gyanam tatpara tatpara means committed zealous dedicated up and doing tatpara para tat means that para means is my highest goal is my ultimate goal now uh, is my most urgent goal tatpara and sangyate indriya self controlled ethically and morally a pure life and a person of discipline and control so shankaracharya says you'll never get anywhere unless you have some kind of basic faith in um, the teachings so that's shraddha having this is these are this is from shankaracharya's commentary having the faith one may not be up and doing you see this these are the places where our our religious life a spiritual quest comes to a grinding halt yeah i am sort of i understand those things i'm motivated by it but i'm too busy i mean i'll i'll do something after i retire or something like that you know i am too busy right now tatpara means one must be up and doing it's the most urgent thing in life you have to do it now now uh, or it's good that you are interested in spirituality and philosophy and all but that's for later you now have uh, i i remember when i was a little kid uh, i used to go to the ashram quite often and uh, i was scolded by my parents or aunt Uh, that's for old people you are a young boy you should you know you should play and study and what not and there was this old grand aunt uh, who was like a grandmother who was sitting and quietly watching all this and when my mother and aunt left the room she called me close and she said look my boy what you are doing that's right that's correct keep on doing that it does not work when you are old so one must be up and doing otherwise well one it will not it will uh, precious time is lost then shankaracharya says one may be up and doing one may have shraddha belief in it um, you know a, de- a desire for enlightenment and maybe up and doing you go to a teacher and you you get the books and attend all the classes but indisciplined life unethical life a loose life he says not controlled it will be wasted so all three are necessary and if all three are there one shankaracharya says enlightenment is guaranteed these are his words absolutely you will get it in fact he says compare it to the earlier ones which were said um, that verse was there tad vidhi pranipatena pariprashnena sevaya uh, get this knowledge by approaching the masters and by serving them and by questioning them he says he makes an interesting observation those are also practices those of course you have to you have to do that but he says in that case um a person may not be sincere might be going to a master or a class for for other purposes maybe i'm just bored i just need a, a group to hang out with i'm going there or maybe i just uh, want to get some praise from the master so i ask questions we all i mean at least i did it when i was a kid in school uh, i i was I had all the intelligent questions to ask not so much to know but to please the teacher i think so shankaracharya actually mentions that that there may not be it may not be a very straightforward thing which is happening one may be one who is hopefully very sincere but uh, there is no guarantee that that will lead to enlightenment just because i have gone to a teacher i have signed up for a class and i'm asking questions but after that these things are internal shraddha is internal i really have faith in these things and i am really up and doing it's an internal effort and i'm really controlled in mind and sense organs then he says absolutely certain that you are going to get enlightened this is the exact words 
that he guarantees enlightenment if we one has these qualities. Then one, what happens after enlightenment? Jnanam labdhva, after becoming enlightened. What more remains to be done post-enlightenment practices? This is a, I have a book here, after enlightenment. So several chapters on what, what, what are the immediate steps to be taken if you, if you become enlightened. Um, he says nothing. You attain to the supreme peace, achirena, without any gap. Achirena immediately. Without any um, you know, temporal gap, without any gap in time. You become enlightened, you get freedom from uh, param shanti. Param shanti means that literally, you know, it's almost this is biblical language. The peace that passeth understanding, the supreme peace. You attain to that immediately. If you talk about, um, it's uh, who wrote after enlightenment, Stephen Bodian, I think. I'll, I'll show you the book. It's it's nice. If actually, just as a sort of sidebar here, the book I've got it here somewhere. Um, it talks about the practices which are mentioned there after enlightenment. In Vedanta, they will they are correspond they correspond to nididhyasana. So after you make a breakthrough and you, um, it's it's more of a centering practice. You made a breakthrough. It's become clear to you now. Basically, you have to stay there. Vedanta says you have to stay there. That's nididhyasana, Vedantic meditation. So that's what I mean. He's, he does not use those words nididhyasana. He calls it after enlightenment. Basically, after one gets an intuitive breakthrough. You stay with it. And all the practices he has given are um, staying with it. But I'm just a minute. Is it after enlightenment or after my? One second. Let me see if I've got the book right here. All right, I was doing him an injustice. It's not after enlightenment, but it's after mindfulness, so or beyond mindfulness. So uh, this book, it's a good book. He says, uh, it basically deals with the direct approach, direct approach to enlightenment. All right, uh, now back to our verse if you're looking for stages there are actually two stages but they're not really stages this called jivan mukti videha mukti so uh, these are common terms in vedanta jivan mukti means the enlightenment you get it is called jivan mukti you're still the body is there you're living a life now you are living the life of an enlightened being as long as the body lasts and how long will it last it will last as long as praradha karma is there uh, this is up to that it is called Jivan Mukti. And that's basically the goal of Advaita Vedanta. And after the body drops off, at the end of Prarabdha Karma, the body will die. You are already Brahman. You are already the infinite. So it is um, um, really nothing to you. But from the, our perspective, from those who are watching you as the enlightened being, all right, so he has left the body. We call it Videha Mukti, attainment of um, bodiless liberation. So Swami Harshanandaji in Bangalore, he passed away a few days ago, I was seeing an announcement, uh, Videha Mukti of Swami Harshanandaji. So Videha Mukti means you're already enlightened, but the body drops off. Now, if you don't do this, don't do what? If one does not have um, um, Shraddha, a faith in the teachings of, in these teachings, faith in the teacher and the teachings. Uh, if one is ignorant and if one is skeptical, what happens? Terrible things happen. <laughs> Page four, uh, verse number 40. Agyascha shraddha nascha samshayatma vinashyati nayam loko stina paro nasukham samshayatmanaha He who is ignorant, wanting in faith and of a doubting mind is ruined. For the doubting man, there is neither this nor the other world, 
nor happiness. So three problems are mentioned here. Agya, ignorant. Then ashraddha, lack of faith. Lack of faith, respect. Uh, samshaya, doubtful. And he says, um, each is worse than the earlier one. One might think that ignorance is the worst of all. Yes, but it's a common condition. We all have it. And we are working to uh, overcome it. One, if one is ignorant, well, one, one has faith and one is up and doing, one will overcome that ignorance. Uh, it is, uh, that's what spirituality is there for. That's what Vedanta, that's what the religions are there for. But if one has ashraddha, so one already has ignorance, one cannot be enlightened and uh, have ashraddha. That means lack of faith. So faith is there. Um, one observation I want to share with you before getting back to the um, main track of explanation. What uh, is faith at the beginning? What is faith at our level as spiritual seekers becomes nishtha after enlightenment. I'll re um, repeat that. What starts off as shraddha becomes nishtha afterwards. Shraddha means a deep faith. This is true. And it keeps us in the spiritual path. And after enlightenment, what happens is no longer you, need, you don't need that kind of faith anymore. That this is true. I believe it. No, you know it is true. Then what happens? You, you stay with it. Nishtha means Brahmanishtha, they say. Or Jnana Nishtha. Staying with that. Shramana, Manana, Nididhyasana. I dwell on the truth. I stay with it. Staying with it also means immersing oneself in it and expressing it in life. Life will throw you challenges. Now, can I respond to those challenges from my uh, insight, from my enlightened perspective? That will be a struggle. Why will it be a struggle? Not from the world outside. It will be a struggle with my past conditioning. If the mind has been sufficiently purified, your enlightenment will be expressed easily. If the mind has not been sufficiently purified, there will be a struggle. So staying with it and uh, to express your enlightenment, Swami Vivekananda calls it manifestation of the divinity already within us. Very nice uh, phrase. Manifestation of the divinity already within us. So that is... Um, so an enlightened person can do that. One has uh, ignorance, but with Shraddha, one pursues this uh, path. And then one becomes enlightened, one can remove the um, ignorance and become enlightened. Suppose one has uh, Ashraddha, and then on top of that, um, doubtful, samshaya. So this phrase is also important. Samshaya atma vinashyati is often repeated. The doubting, the doubting Thomas is also a phrase. So the, the one who keeps on doubting uh, is destroyed. That's the worst. Why is it the worst? Because the ignorant person can overcome ignorance. With, with faith and practice and perseverance, the ignorance will go away. That's why all religion and spiritual practices are there. The um, person who has ignorance and no respect for spirituality and religion, well, that person will still won't suffer so much because that person uh, now, what does that person say? Oh, these things are not true. There's no God, no religion, no spirituality. All this is not true. All that is true is this world. And I'm going to make merry here. And that person without any conflict will rush towards you know, trying his hand at uh, enjoying the world. Also a doomed project. But for the time being, it will keep him engaged. Most people are engaged in that. That to find, uh, see a thoughtful materialist will always be against spirituality and religion. To be completely committed to materialism, to be completely committed to a hedonistic lifestyle, you must deny the possibility of something greater. So thoughtfully, they'll cut down. They'll first have to cut down religion, God, enlightenment. Then only you can be a committed materialist. So this person becomes a committed materialist, is ignorant about spirituality, has no faith in it. And so some kind of life will go in some way, will pursue pleasure, power, money, and life will go on. Not so bad. But the worst kind is Sanshayatma, who is has you know, sort of congenitally doubtful, skeptical, suspicious. This comes from a tamasic mindset. Suspicious of anything and everything. Can't trust anybody. Can't trust anything. So 
um, does not trust the texts and the teachings of the who knows the texts might be they were ignorant people in the past who what did they know well the masters realized it and they are telling us they could be deluded how do i know and uh, so about spirituality about um, you know people in the in the life um, doesn't trust husband wife children doesn't trust co-workers and uh, doesn't trust superiors or uh, subordinates uh, suspicious mentality about things in general will this person be a good scientist not at all will doubt everything in science also and everything in politics also fake news so everything uh, is now this person notice they will believe in certain things and they usually fall victim to the worst kind of you know superstitions conspiracy theories so many things it happens the tamasic mindset so he says samshay atma vinashyati it is destroyed why nayam lokasti naparo this person will not attain to any kind of pleasure in this life everything is tainted by suspicion and unhappiness if one is suspicious of everybody and everything is unhappiness bound to be an instant unhappiness i have seen one interesting quality among the senior monks whom i consider to be very spiritual they are all very trusting they immediately trust and believe a person this is will be cheated not necessarily there somehow little bit of i think divine protection is there i remember there was um a meeting after swami lokeshwarananda ji passed away swami lokeshwarananda ji was the head of a big institution so in calcutta ramakrishna mission institute of culture a huge institution he was very trusting so one of the gentlemen who worked with him was saying that maharaj believed just about everybody when people came and uh, whatever they said he he believed them and was he cheated he said yes he was cheated he was cheated quite a number of times but he didn't that didn't stop him he believed people and he supported people he believed even when uh, somebody is taking you for a ride uh, often i've seen monks who understand they are no fools but they play along i i remember once in howra station there were a group of monks and this you know the beggars are there in the, on the platform this lady comes along with a baby on her hip and she's absolutely she you can see clothes in tatters and she looks emaciated and uh, she has asking everybody for money and one of the monks said wait don't give them a, give her any money and he sharply asked her is that your child she looked scared um, should i call the police and she quickly melted back into the crowd and this monk said see these are cheats one shouldn't give money to such people and and he said i knew it i mean the moment i saw this was a scam is somebody else's child and she's just walking around with it in order to get sympathy and money another monk scolded this monk he said look it could be it is a scam all right but she is obviously poor she's not doing it for fun she's not out to make millions of you she is obviously starving she is obviously in desperate condition knowing that it's a scam we should should um, uh, still give money if you can't do anything if you can pull her out of her condition help her do so but if you can't do anything give somebody something that will help at, at this moment at least don't you do that to children little babies and infants you know they often try to manipulate the parents so as parents you know they <laughs> they are trying to pull a fast one on you but you humor them so i have seen uh, very loving very wise old swamis they see right through us but they humor us <laughs> and all for our welfare if necessary they scold us also so nayam but this person will have no happiness in uh, in in this world without any kind of trust will only have unhappiness now paro so the idea that in the ancient times you know that you do these rituals and you will get merit and after death you will go to heaven this person won't go to heaven why because there is no faith in such such things and no moksha also there is no question of moksha and enlightenment won't even start on that path 
So we will not enjoy this world, will not enjoy the next world, and will not attain to moksha. This is the fate of the, the perpetually doubting. That is tamasic mindset. That is very different from the inquiry, Vedantic inquiry, the questioning, which is absolutely necessary for Vedanta. But this is a kind of dumb, stubborn unbelief. No matter what you say, I, I will not listen to you. So leave these persons alone. What will happen? Are they hopeless? No, nobody is hopeless. God will take care of them. But it's going to be a long and painful process. Born of a lot of suffering till they begin to learn this is not the way out. So, so they learn in this life or lives to come. So this is. So these two phrases are important. Shaddhavan labhate jnanam. The one with shaddha attains to knowledge. And samshayatma vinashyati. The one full of doubt goes to ruin. Swami Vivekananda gave great stress on this word Shraddha. Shraddha means faith. Faith in yourself first, he said. His famous thing which we, we quote often. The old religion said, he who does not have faith in God is an atheist. The new religion says, he who does not have faith in himself is an atheist. It starts with faith in oneself. Then only one can have faith in the, in the scriptures, in the guru, in God. Then, number 41. Yoga sanyasta karmanam jnana samsinna samshayam atmavantam nakarmani nibadnanti dhananjaya. But he who has renounced the fruit of actions through yoga, whose doubts have been destroyed by knowledge, and who is self-possessed, O Dhananjaya or Arjuna, is not bound by actions. So he's sort of summing up the whole uh, section on enlightenment. Yoga Sanyasta Karmanam. This phrase sounds complicated. Literally, if you take it, it means one who has transcended action through, uh, by, who has given up action through yoga. Basically, it means enlightenment. It means enlightenment. You, if you realize that you are the self, you are the witness consciousness, then all the activities which may be going on at the level of the body-mind, they are not your activities. The screen on which the movie is playing, the screen has no identification with the happenings in the movie. It, it does not take responsibility for tragedies. Uh, it, it does not take responsibility for great things happening. And if the audience stands up and cheers in the movie, uh, you know, the uh, a screen will not uh, you know, take credit for that. It's the movie. And the screen has nothing to do with it except enabling it to happen, yeah. except this aesthetic enjoyment which you take in it. So by enlightenment, one transcends karma. Transcends sanyasta karma literally means giving up, but here does not mean giving up karma because Krishna is telling Arjuna to perform intense activity and Krishna himself is in the midst of intense activity. Intense activity at the level of the body and mind, perfect peace forever at the level of the uh, self as pure consciousness. Jnana samchinna samshayam. All doubts overcome by knowledge. Um, so here, all doubts overcome by knowledge operates at two levels. One is at the level of the ultimate goal, that I am Brahman, this was hidden, this was doubtful, that has been overcome by clear knowledge that I am Brahman. That is, of course, enlightenment. But also, there was a doubt with which the chapter began. Tell me one thing which I should do. You know, should I do karma yoga or should I do jnana yoga? This doubt about sadhana, what is to be practiced? He says, now that those doubts should have gone. Not only about the ultimate goal, but also about what you should do. What should you do? By karma yoga, one should purify oneself. Through unselfish action, moral, ethical, and altruistic action, purify yourself. If that action is devoted to God, is, is a worship of God, even better. Then through meditation and uh, worship, Concentrate the purified mind. And then with this concentrated, purified mind, um, you approach Vedantic um, hearing, reasoning, and uh, meditation. Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana, that leads to enlightenment. So this is the whole course. And then, remember, uh, when I used word then, first this, then that, and then that, it does not mean literally a sequence in time. One must do all of that all the time. It's not that you're going to come to Vedanta class after 40 years. You know, after I retire, then I'll join your class. It'll be too late. 
all of these things have to be done together. Um, then Atmavantam, centered, after enlightenment, you are centered in the self. Um, Atmavantam means in the midst of actions also, that clear identity should be there. I am Brahman, Chidananda Rupa Shivoham. I am of the nature of, I am, I am bliss, I am awareness, I am of the nature of Shiva. Atmavantam. Atmavan literally means with the self or possessed of the self. You can translate it as centered in your enlightenment, centered in your realization that I am Brahman. Why wouldn't one be centered? Well, one may be swept away by the problems of day-to-day life. You know, at our level also, we should practice this. That uh, I, I tend to get some kind of an intuition and understanding in the class, but it's all sorts of, it sort of disappears in the course of the week. And next class again, I have to hear this. No, after the class also, um, in our daily lives, at home, at work. Now, of course, at home and work are the same thing. So, Atmavantam, being centered in the idea or in the realization, in intuition that I am the self. Na karmani nibhadnanti. Uh, action does not bind. We know the what is meant. It unpacked the term action doesn't bind. How does action bind? Action leads to results and the results lead to their effects. And the effects are sukha and dukkha, happiness and misery, which means future lives and the cycle of life and death continues. That's the binding effect of actions, both good and bad. That will not happen if you have these three. Um, what are these three? If you look closely, he has mentioned Shavana, Manana, Nididhyasana. Yoga, Sanyasta, Karmanam. This is knowledge. By the knowledge that I am Brahman, I am pure being, pure consciousness, I transcend activity. I am not doing activity to get results for myself because I don't need it. I cannot do activity through a body and mind because I am the witness consciousness. I do not act. It is the body and mind which act. So this is the knowledge. Where does it come from? It comes from the study of Vedanta, being properly instructed in Vedanta. Then there will be a lot of doubts, questions, struggles. Uh, that comes in the second part. Jnana samchinna samshayam. If you give stress on the samshaya part, doubts, it is actually mananam. Mananam means reasoning, working it out, struggling with it, wrestling with it. To see how is this true? Why are my doubts not correct? Answering every possible question. So look, questions are to be asked and overcome. This is quite different from the Samshaya Atma, the doubting Thomas. So this has to be overcome, these doubts. And uh, they have to be raised, discussed, threadbare and overcome. You get clarity. Yes, it is true. Our clarity dawns upon you. Um, at this level, I was reading the Tibetan Buddhists have um, a lot to say about these levels. They also have these three levels. Here, they literally talk about it. Hearing and uh, um, debating and meditating. So the debating level, they say that memory and uh, intellect are of two kinds. I mean, oh, sorry, memory and intellect. Four kinds of memory and four kinds of intellect. Very interesting and it's very nice for our education system also. Um, so the four kinds of intellect, this the Tibetan Buddhists talk about, is the quick intellect, the um, clarity, intellect of clarity or clear intellect, penetrative intellect, and the wise intellect. The quick intellect is uh, the one which can quickly grasp your, your argument and quickly see the, the counter arguments and the objections and the exceptions. That's a quick intellect, ready. We'll, we'll see through what you are trying to say and raise objections. And the second kind of intellect is the clear intellect, which has a very clear idea of the concepts, how they are linked together, a map. It's a very clear mind, organized and clear mind. Note that it may be that none of them have the truth. It, it's something common to every field of endeavor. In, in science, in religion, in law, you will come across these minds, these kinds of minds. So there's a quick intellect, there's a clear intellect. Then there is a Penetrative intellect. The penetrative intellect can see deeply, can follow through a chain of argument and see deeper and deeper layers to it. Do you see the difference between being quick and being clear about something and then questioning the thing? I remember this Swami 
who I now realize has a clear intellect. Uh, all concepts are, he's a wonderful teacher, luminous teacher. Uh, so, uh, I mean, his classes were like all the rage when we were novices. Everybody wanted to go to his classes. Everybody wanted notes of old classes. And in those days, the photocopier technology had just come. So everybody wanted to photocopy. And uh, the senior monks poo-pooed. You know, he said, in our day, we had to take it down, write it down by hand. And at least something goes into your mind. And you guys, you just waste money in photocopying. And then you, I know you will just throw away the, uh, all the stuff. You'll never read it. Nowadays, of course, we have moved beyond it. We have got recording devices. And I saw in the class uh, in, uh, in India, so there was a class on logic. Uh, and there were students from different universities uh, of India. For the first time I saw this student, she had come from Mumbai or somewhere, and she took a, a picture on her phone to the horror of the Pandit who was writing the Sanskrit verse painstakingly with a chalk. And <laughs> later he was grumbling to me that if at least she had no noted it down from the blackboard to the uh, to her notebook, it would have at least gone through her head once. Now I know it. she'll never look at that picture. It's, it's there on the phone. Maybe the phone will become enlightened. I don't know. The, um, so this Swami had a very clear mind, clear intellect. Now I know. So every concept was well linked and all, you know, one sign of a clear intellect is after the class, you can actually uh, recall what was said. I used to think about the classes which we had throughout the day from the different monks, different teachers. And this Swami's class, I could always recall very clearly. Uh, that's because all the, uh, the concepts were well put there. And well illustrated, well linked, and there was a whole narrative to the whole thing. You can, um, you can, it's like a story which has been told. Now, all well and good. Years later, when I was fascinated by Wittgenstein, so Wittgenstein has one accessible talk which he gave in public. It's on ethics. That's the only one he gave in public. And it's accessible, it's pretty good. You can, anybody can read it and understand it. So I printed out that thought, that talk, and I took it because um, it was a challenge to the conventional theories of ethics. So I took it to this Swami because he had taught us, one of the things he had taught us was ethics. And again, a brilliant presentation of all the theories and arguments and counter arguments. So I showed it to him. It was devastating for him. He was so shaken. He came back to me and he's like literally like giving up a hot potato. Take it back. Why is he doing this? These, these things have been discussed and nice. See, these things have been discussed and nicely classified and it's done. The book has been written on it. Why? What I later realized what was horrifying to him was, here's this person who is tearing down the beautiful castle he has built. So clear intellect uh, is good. But it, it might um, you know, react when you question it too deeply. If you're clear system of um, you know, one subject you know, every concept mapped. He loved these concept trees and he would draw these things. And so what Wittgenstein was doing was challenging that. And so that's a penetrative intellect. I mean, Wittgenstein probably was the most penetrative intellect in the last hundred years probably. But anyway, it's a penetrative intellect. And then there is the wise intellect. The wise intellect is the one which has um, learned and then converted it into the wisdom of life. That is what you would want from a spiritual seeker. The ability to solve one's own problems, overcome one's own problems, and be of help to others through all this wisdom, all this learning. So very interesting classification. Quick intellect, clear intellect, penetrative intellect, wise intellect. Memory. So this memory classification, a fourfold memory. I got it from a Swami. Um, in the ashram where I joined. So the Sanskrit terms are uh, Vega Chira, Vega Vega, Chira Chira, Chira Vega. The four kinds of memory. So Vega Chira means uh, the best kind of memory where you learn something very fast and you can recall it years afterwards also. Your retentive and recall capacities are astonishing. So people can really pick up things fast and remember them for ages. The other, the next one is the Vega Vega. Um, this is learn quick, but forget quickly also. Pick up something, memorize it, done immediately. But next day, oh, I forgot. And the third one is the um, Chira Chira. 
uh, yeah, which takes a long time to memorize, but holds on to it for a long time also. Basically, a plodding kind of person, but it's um, hardworking and sincere and acquires all this knowledge and can hold on to it for years. The worst kind is the Chira Vega, works really hard at memorizing something and forgets immediately afterwards. I, I remember you know, once we were studying Panini's sutras in grammar, some uh, Sanskrit grammar sutras. And uh, at lunch, our senior Swami, who came and asked us, so what are you boys studying these days? We were novices. He said, Swami Panini Sutras. And he gave this plaintive, long-suffering <laughs> groan. He said, learn every day, forget every day. <laughs> I think he was like, sort of looking back to his experience as a novice. Learning every day, forgetting every day. Panini Sutras. And I can't resist this. Um, when I first came to the United States, I still remember I was being driven from uh, LAX to our ashram in Hollywood. And um, in the streets, I saw this in you know, big letters, Panini. I was looking at it. And one of the monks, an American monk sitting next to me said, it's not what you think it is, Swami. <laughs> it's not Sanskrit grammar. It's a kind of bread, Italian bread. So in Panini, immediately we think it's Sanskrit grammar. And then... Uh, finally, Atma Vantam is Nididhyasana. So, three stages. Yoga Sanyasta Karmani talks about um, it talks about knowledge arising out of Shravana. Jnana Samchinna Samshayam talks about uh, Mananam, the uh, clarifying through argument, reasoning, debate. Atma Vantam means once you have got the knowledge, once it's clear, stay with it, stay with it, marinate. Or as Stephen Bodian would say, um, you know, he would say, this is beyond mindfulness. You stay with the intuition, with the, with the knowledge that you have gained. Um, for such a person, karmani na nibadnanti, does not mind. Okay, I'll stop here. I'm leaving, deliberately leaving one verse for next time so that we can do this verse and take a look back upon this chapter. Let's quickly look at a lot of activity in the chat. Shekhar is saying, Krishna Krishna is talking about purification brought about by knowledge. In contrast, purification brought about by Karma Yoga, only pre preliminary. Correct. You can think of three kinds of purification. The impurities of the mind, the conditionings of the mind because of past karma. This is the vasanas in our mind. And this is purified by Karma Yoga. But then you can think of the distracted mind, the flickering mind. That's also a kind of impurity. That is corrected by meditation by dhyana yoga and then the final impurity is ignorance ignorance about our um, real real nature and that is removed by um, dhyana yoga good good question so if purification what purification does jnana do it removes ajnana ignorance and ignorance is the final impurity um, abhijit says in verse 38 second line could you explain the word that swayam atmani vindate Yes, it's a very deep thing. I was hoping to avoid it. I'll just mention, what is the nature of enlightenment? You do not see that by your eyes or you don't smell it or taste it or touch it. It's the Atman, that I am the Atman. This is what I am. It's the body, you can touch it here. If it was a personality, a thought pattern, a kind of um, you know, mind, you can still experience it inwardly. But the experiencer itself, Upanishad says, are kena vijaniyat. My dear one, by what will you know the knower? <laughs> so here it is just said, um, tad atmani swayam, tad, what is it? Tad swayam atmani vindati. I'll not go into it. If you want detailed um, analysis of that, you have to wait till the end of the Vedanta Sara class or the last Ask Swami, which we did, it has just been posted on our YouTube channel. So the first question there was, what exactly happens in enlightenment? What is the role of the mind in enlightenment? Listen to the question and the answer. This is an explanation of uh, what is Tatswayam Atmani Vindati. Sri Ramakrishna in Bengali, he said, Bodhe Bodhkara. 
Awareness of awareness. Awareness of awareness in awareness. In uh, Abhijit is saying, in 38, first line, if knowledge is the best purifier, Krishna is imp implying the root of all impurity is ignorance only. Correct. The root of all impurity is ignorance. Ultimately, all samsara comes from ignorance. A related question might be, if that's so, why not work on that first? Remove ignorance and the work is done. It won't work. That was the whole teaching of the fourth chapter. It won't work. It is layers and layers of ignorance. Either there won't be any faith in these things, or there won't be any, you know, you won't be up and doing about it, or there'll be uh, indiscipline and control of the body and mind and unethical, immoral life. All these problems, they, they stem from the upper layers of impurity. Well, long before you confront the final impurity of who am I, that, that uh, ignorance about that. So one has to deal with these. This is a, uh, there's a term in America, they call it grunt work. Grunt work means the, the hard, unglamorous work. Meditation, direct path, who am I? These are all very glamorous. Tantra, all very glamorous. But Swami Vivekananda again and again said, character making, good character first, foundation. That's the glamorous and hard work and many lifetimes work. Achirena, Ramya is asking. Oh, Rick is saying after enlightenment, English. Yes, Stephen Bodian. Yes, he wrote this book after uh, Beyond Mindfulness. Is the concept of enlightenment only in Advaita Vedanta? No, it's there in um, just about every Indian philosophy, in um, Buddhism, in Jainism, in. Uh, Nyaya, Vaisheshika, Sankhya, Yoga, all. Uh, in Bhakti schools also. They don't call it enlightenment, but they'll call it God-realization. What about other religions like Christianity? You have to go to the esoteric parts of those religions. Both Islam, Christianity, Judaism, they have very ancient and deep esoteric mystical traditions. They have the counterparts of enlightenment. Obviously, none of them will put it in the same terms in which I am putting it. I mean, this is the Advaitic uh, interpretation. Narendra's constant questioning of Thakur, how do you explain in terms of Shraddha? Absolutely, there was Shraddha there. there was a, he first bound Narendranath to himself, Thakur, with the, with the binding of love. Narendranath says, nobody ever loved me the way he loved me. But he doubted, he asked every question. So that is the inquiry. That is the inquiry. You must ask questions. One day, Nivedita was pressing Swami Vivekananda too hard and then she felt bad and she said, um, I'm sorry for asking so many questions. Swami Vivekananda says, let none uh, regret that they doubted. I questioned my master for six long years, he said. And as a result, he picked up a pebble and he says, I am as, I'm as hard as that. So ask. So that kind of doubting is questioning. Whatever you want to know about this path, you are interested. You're going to take it up. You're going to practice it seriously and going to transform your own lives and be a blessing to others also. Of course, I will help you out. Ask anything you want to ask. Quest comparison of dream. Anuradha is asking question about the comparison of dream and the um, waking world. No, hold on to it. We will require a little bit of time. Hold on to it and then we'll do it next time. Gabriel is saying lately, um, whenever I find myself not liking rejecting something, I immediately hear your voice in my ear saying, movie screen accepts everything and rejects nothing. So when you give the example in class, the Harry Potter movie, and heroes and villains and all are accepted by the screen. It's so helpful to be accepting whatever happens. Yes, but always common sense, right? Um, don't let yourself be taken for a ride, uh, exploited. So uh, don't be a goody-goody or a nice person to everybody. That is not what is meant by acceptance or compassion. Um, I may not have... What is this? There are people from different sects of Hinduism and people from other religions trying to create doubt in you by the orthodox views. 
how does one or some shy doubt how does one deal with them where any kind of um, opponent why only uh, people within hinduism or from other religions any kind of opponent has questions you have to have the answers for those questions and it's better to have questions which are part of your own inquiry don't listen to too much uh, you know cross talk about religion it, it might be disturbing or um, confusing in the beginning one should after picking up a particular path one should f- focus on it be open i remember it, i was so happy to see that in our monastic training center where the novices are trained there are books of all religions you know christopher hitchens books are there richard dawkins books are there all sorts of books are there you are free to read anything but we are constantly told to focus as when you are beginning to learn something you need to focus for a while at least before you broaden out again and look at different points of view patrick says tibetan buddhism and advaita vedanta seem to be very similar did they arrive at their systems independently oh this is again a big question they are very similar and uh, again they are also different if you there are many academicians and practitioners who would say no 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 they are very different so how they are similar how they are different i personally feel that they are really really similar they are like mirror images to each other did they arrive at the systems independently no well yes and no um, initially there was a lot of interaction between the buddhist traditions and the hindu traditions in india but once it migrated padma sambhava took it to tibet and then the once the great um, universities in india vikramshila takshashila nalanda especially when nalanda was destroyed then tibet was cut off from india or india was cut off india sort of uh, entered into the medieval ages of uh, conquest and destruction by the islamic invaders and the kingdoms collapsed and so all this support for buddhist institutions all those things disappeared and buddhism sort of basically faded away from the indian scene but it was preserved in tibet so dalai lama again and again says we are totally grateful what we have in tibet is in the entirely the nalanda tradition of india what was there in in nalanda so all that was taken and preserved but also developed to answer your question so is it um, a product of inter uh, of uh, interaction between advaita vedanta or between indian philosophy and buddhist philosophy initially yes but the tibetan phase of it was um, uh, there was less and less interaction with uh, india at that time yeah so there many things developed independently there all right on that note let us end om shanti 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna rupa namastu